Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 276, and today's guest is Gene and Elaine Williams, founders of Athletes Untapped. You likely know these companies, Eventbrite, Canva, House. So what do all these companies have in common, other than being incredibly successful? Well, all the companies were founded by a married couple. Most of my interviews are one-on-one with a few exceptions of talking to a couple of co-founders at once or even a founder and their investor for the podcast. But this was the first time that I've interviewed a married couple, which was cool. Gene and Elaine are looking to disrupt the sporting industry with Athletes Untapped, a private coaching platform for young athletes who are looking to take their game to the next level. What's impressive about this couple's entrepreneurial journey is that the business is bootstrapped and they are building it while working full-time jobs too. It's something that I can relate to as VentureFizz was a side business until I went full-time on it five years ago. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like taking the entrepreneurial leap while working full-time, a look at Gene and Elaine's background, including their athletic careers and how it influenced their interest in starting the company, all the details on Athletes Untapped, including how they got started and their progress around building the company to date, plus future plans, lessons learned, advice on building a company with your spouse, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. This week's episode is sponsored by MarketMuse, a content intelligence platform that sets the standard for content quality. Their AI-powered software enables companies to create predictably better content at scale that increases traffic and engagement, improves productivity, and drives revenue. Get more out of your content with packages starting at just $0 a month. That's free. Plus, you can get 20% off the MarketMuse standard plan by using our code FIZZ20, that's F-I-Z-Z-2-0, at checkout. Go to marketmuse.com to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Gene and Elaine. Elaine and Gene, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. I am so excited to talk to you guys. So I have had most of my episodes for the podcast, I talk to one entrepreneur and there's usually multiple co-founders, but it's usually a one-on-one conversation to talk about the company and their background story. Uh, There have been instances when I've had maybe two guests that were co-founders and they both wanted to participate in the podcast. So we had a great conversation or I've even had an instance where there was a founder and their investor that wanted to do the podcast together, which was a great conversation. But this is the very first time that I've had a married couple running a company together on the podcast. So I'm super excited about that because there is a lot going on with your current uh, careers, plus what you're running with athletes on tap. So I wanted to kick off the conversation by talking about that entrepreneurial leap. A lot of people have ideas and they're like, man, that idea I had, so-and-so is doing that now. That was my idea, but they didn't actually pursue it. So ideas are a dime a dozen, but to, to have the guts to actually go and actually build something is a completely different ballgame. So talk about that taking that entrepreneurial leap as kind of like a, a side business. Yeah, I can start off with that one. I think from from our standpoint, we're lucky in the fact that we both have the same kind of passion with sports. So I got into private coaching uh, right after college as a way to kind of just stay involved with basketball because I played hoops in, uh, in college and then overseas for a bit. So one-on-one coaching was my way to stay involved. And I told, told Elaine about um, you know doing it on the side as a fun thing because she played soccer at Temple. So for the next four or five years post-college, we both did it and kind of, again, shared that same passion with it. So it was easy to make the jump into something like this, I think, because, again, we had similar passions and wanted to pursue it together. Um, but honestly, a big thing and a big driver for us too was the 20 year 2020. A lot of things got turned upside down for everyone. But for us, we started working from home and had some more flexibility to build something on the side. So we kind of put our heads together, um, you know, kind of like the 
crazy or typical entrepreneurial stories, two people in a small apartment working together. We just pulled ideas, eating dinner together, late nights together, kind of just getting, you know, I guess, the basis for this company. And we built it over the next year from there. And here we are today. All right. So we're going to get in the weeds of how this company came to get together as far as the foundation and growing it to where it is today. But it still takes that those guts, right? You know, it's still, it's like, okay, let's do this. So uh, I think that's very admirable what you guys are doing. Well, you kind of gave a little bit of a background information, but I do want to kind of do a deeper dive for each of you. So Elaine, talk about your background. Like where'd you grow up? What were you like as a child? Yeah, so I grew up in Westchester. Um, and then, you know, when I went to college, I went to Temple. So kind of stayed in the area, in the Philadelphia area. Um, I was a marketing major, but I always say I majored in soccer because, you know, that's where yeah. all of your time goes. It's a student athlete. Well, well, talk about that experience because the D1 athlete is incredibly involved from high school, yeah. maybe club soccer to getting recruited to that being a job in itself while you're going to school. Yeah, like in high school, you're playing club, you're playing high school sports. It's while trying to be recruited, it's a lot on young athletes. And you kind of, you know, most of the time you have a tendency to kind of get wrapped up in it. And there's not a lot of guidance. I mean, you always lean on your parents, but sometimes your parents didn't play sports. So, and now with, you know, all the different rules going on, it's hard to navigate that. And so that's, kind of what I view as one of our goals in starting this startup as a side tangent is to help provide some guidance by giving young athletes access to coaches who have done this process. Um, so I know that's kind of my focus when I go out and train um, back to my background. So at Temple, yeah, soccer is your full-time sport or whatever sport you're playing. It's it's your full, it's your full life. You know, you wake up, you go left, then you eat breakfast and you go to school and then you play again and you have different training sessions or whatever. It's, it's, it has to be your whole focus, unfortunately. But what do you think, what do you think that that experience taught you as it relates to your professional career? I'd like to say time management. I've always thought I was pretty good at it though. Um, really the perseverance and, you know, figuring out what your priorities are and then being able to attack those and having the confidence to do that. That was the biggest thing for me. Um, but there's also all these other small skills with learning how to talk to people and work with people who, you know, you might not normally get along with. There's a lot of personal, you know, things that you can learn, but it's really a perseverance that, you know, helps me today. I, I know how to, get around issues and just keep going. Yeah, no, it's definitely like one of those things when, uh, so as a headhunter, my background recruiting, uh, when you look at a resume and you see where the person went to school and you see that they played a collegiate sport, regardless of D1, two or three, you're like, wait, this person has a different level of dedication of what goes into that whole process. So Gene, talk about, you know, same idea, like where did you grow up or you like as a child and, you know, your collegiate career? Yeah, I grew up in the area, um, a little bit closer to the city uh, in Broomall. Went to high school at St. Joe's Prep, played basketball there, played basketball at Johns Hopkins in college, then played overseas for a year in Ireland. Um, so yeah, basketball is always a big part of my life, and I guess similar to Elaine. Taught me a lot of really good things, and that's just kind of the whole idea for you know what we're doing, really passing on that knowledge of the game, how much we've learned, and even just beyond like getting on the court and getting on the field. Um, the mentorship and the guidance is just so much fun. Just kind of looking back at my own life, had a lot of really good coaches who helped me get to, you know, the high school level, college level and beyond. 
And if I can be that type of person for somebody else, whether it's actually me coaching or by the connections that we make through Athletes Untapped, that's really what we love to do. It's just kind of fun to see those partnerships and relationships blossom. And I thought it was really interesting that you pursued playing basketball professionally in Ireland, right? Yep. Yeah, it's in Ireland. Not really thought it was a basketball country. but <laughs> So how did, how did that come together and what did you learn from that experience? Because that's very unique too. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I was lucky enough to be selected for this program called Sport Changes Life. Um, they take on about 10 Americans every year that play either D1, D2, or D3 basketball. And the way it works is they um, they connect you with a team from Ireland's National League. So it's like the highest level you can play in Ireland. They'll get you on a roster spot there. They also get you a scholarship to um, one of the local universities. So you can get um, a graduate degree. And the trade-off for playing basketball and studying at the same time is you're supposed to be a mentor and kind of grow the game of basketball in the local community, which for me is not even a trade-off. It's more fun than anything else. So for the first year out of college, I did that. Played hoops, got my graduate degree. And then really, you know, was kind of training and mentoring a lot of young Irish kids in basketball. But it was an awesome, awesome experience. And we actually went back a couple of years ago and I introduced her to some of my former teammates and coaches. So, uh, yeah, holds a uh, you know, dear place in my heart. <laughs> oh, that's such a great experience. All right. So, Elaine, let's talk about after school. So what has your professional career looked like since then? Yeah, so right after college, I or I guess during college, I took an internship and I joined that company right after. Um, and then since then, I joined another software company and it's been awesome. It's it's a lot of time, but, you know, do it after after work and then working with your husband it's it's a lot of fun <laughs> we're gonna get into that piece too yeah. yes absolutely <laughs> so what type of role are you like sales marketing both like what's your, what are you doing now as far as the, the company and the role um i do kind of a project management type of role so i i travel a lot go to different sites and um help roll out our software got it okay so professional services yeah got it okay and Gene, so what, like what, since college or since playing basketball internationally, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, uh, coming home, I got accepted into this program called Venture for America, where they pair you to work with a startup. It's usually supposed to be for about two years, then you kind of go on your way and find somewhere else to work. But I've stayed at the same startup for the last six years now. I've loved it. Um, I've grown a lot in that one company. So yeah, I've kind of been lucky. Not many people stay at the same company because startups are always kind of hit or miss, but for me, it's been a fantastic fit. So I've been there ever since. Well, you're like one of the, when I saw your background, I was doing my homework on the two of you. Uh, you're one of the reasons why I always encourage people to join startups. Cause when I saw your career trajectory, like you're president of the company now where, you know, you, it, at least according to LinkedIn, you're a partnerships manager, VP, now president. I'm like, it's that type of trajectory that one can experience if they're in a company that obviously is uh, continuing to grow. So what, what is very apt? What is, what does the company do? Uh, it's a real estate technology platform. So we help renters find their ideal apartment. That's our you know slogan. We're kind of in the same world as apartments.com, Zillow. Um, yeah, really in that same space as both of those companies, definitely a lot smaller. We're located or headquartered in Philadelphia, um, but really good small team that I love working with. So. Okay. All right, well, let's dig on into Athletes Untapped. So you gave a little bit of a foundational story where, okay, 2020, pandemic hits, everybody's working from home. So you guys obviously have your own careers, doing your own thing, but when did the idea start to percolate? Was it way beyond? Because I had the idea for Venture Fizz. I launched it in 
uh, it's like, it's interesting. Cause it's like these weird conditions end up prompting you to do things. Right. So this was 2009 when the economy collapsed in 2008, I didn't have any search work. So I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with my time here? I had the idea for venture Fizz, And I think I registered the domain in 2007. So it was just sitting idle. But then I was like, okay, I think now's the time to do it. And now it's what I already spent all my time. So when did you originally have the idea? And then kind of how did it actually start to take shape? Yeah, great question. I think probably was my, more so my original idea than Elaine's. I just kind of you know, brought her into this world. Um, but through the one-on-one coaching that we did, we were both on another platform called CoachUp. It's in the very same space as us. Um, do you know I was going to ask about Coach Up. Yes. Okay. So you were using Coach. So Jordan Flegel is the founder of Coach Up, and uh, so he's someone that I know really well. And I was wondering, I'm like, this is there's definitely some similarities here. Yeah, actually, I had a phone call with him a couple of years ago just to kind of pick his brain about Coach Up and what he thought. Since he you know the weird athletes untapped when we were on the platform, um, I thought it was useful. And then after a while, I don't even know if Jordan was there at this point. Um, but anyway, the the fees got doubled. I think it went from like a 20% fee to 40%. And then after a while, they were taking just a huge cut of the business that you were doing. Um, and yeah, they a couple of things happened with, you know, trying to get in touch with clients. We didn't meet, I think at one point, there was like a 24 hour rule. We have to get back to somebody. And we were like delayed by a day or two, but they tried to like get us off the platform or put us on vacation mode. So just a couple annoyances with that. Um, again, it was really useful. Um, and we liked doing it early on, but as time went on, we kind of thought to ourselves like, hey, we're doing this. I know a bunch of people that would want to do private coaching. No one really knows much about Coach Up besides us. Like we should build something similar to make it a little more user-friendly, um, you know, lower the fees and see if we can't make a company that could also help connect kids and private coaches. So um, again, it kind of started by using it ourselves. So we were one of their, not early adopters. I think we got on kind of right after college, but having used it for a while, we knew the space. So it was very um, familiar to us. And I think that's a key lesson learned too, where you had experience and there's got to be a better way. Um, you know, job boards have existed for years, yet it's basically what venture fizz is. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but it was my recruiting experience that as a headhunter where I'm like, this information that I'm collecting, it doesn't, there's no site that has all this aggregated for people together. So, you know, it's a double-sided marketplace. Um, yeah. So, okay. So ha- once you're like, okay, we're, we're going to go do this. Okay. Like, how did you get started? Because it's, it, it can almost get, daunting right to go build a website that uh you got to have people sign up that are interested in you know getting sessions as uh an athlete and then like you said you you knew some coaches that were off athletes that would do the coaching but how did you approach that problem of you know supply and demand yeah i think it maybe taking it a step back from that one too even um one of the biggest things that I'm a huge proponent of, but I've been lucky to have great people in my life is to find mentors that can give you the right direction on some of those questions. So I wasn't going into it totally blind. I've been working with two guys in the Philadelphia area that are a lot more seasoned in the you know, kind of entrepreneurial VC space. And they said the biggest thing for this, if we're not going to raise funding immediately and you know quit our jobs, if we want to um, just kind of build it organically over time, is to start small and smart local, uh, start local. So we didn't want to go you know nationally with like 15 sports out of the gate we stuck with just basketball and soccer, knowing it the best in the Philadelphia area, use our personal network to get like early on coaches and then find the parents to do for like Facebook groups um, and it's really small marketing campaigns. <clears throat> and that's worked really well. But again, that same idea kind of went into the business. Not that we built like an MVP. We did take a decent amount of time to build the site up front, 
because you have to make it worthwhile, I think, in the B2C marketplace. B2B is a little bit different. Um, but still, it took a good year to build that. But we found I had a buddy of mine who was an engineer at Coinbase. He helped us build the initial part of the site. After he left because his job got to be too busy, we found somebody local that's an engineer that we're working with out here in Westchester. So we kind of pieced it together as time went on. But again, the whole idea was to start small, start local, use our network and kind of build it up that way. Um, but yeah, I even remember during COVID, we would go out um, and we were living in the city at that point, but not wanting to be in center city. It was kind of not fun during COVID. So we would go out to either my parents' house or her parents' house. And on weekends, weeknights, I would just be pen to paper, um, you know, wireframing what I thought the company should look like based on like Airbnb, Rover.com, different successful marketplaces. So it really, really, I mean, it started there and then we put those wireframes um, on Whimsical, kind of the template that we mm -hmm. use online and before you know it, the engineers are building it. And I mean, just kind of, it keeps snowballing, but I think I said it on the last um, podcast that we did, but that's the biggest thing to me is that you just kind of, and it sounds like cliche with sports, but you just can't quit with these types of things and you just can't, you can't lose. If you just keep going step by step and put something together that's, you know, you believe in that you want to push forward, like eventually you can bring it to market, but there's so many stops along the way where you can be like, okay, like my co-founder of the engineering, um, you know, guy from Coinbase, like, he quit. I could have been like, all right, I'm giving up too. Like I've had enough of this after eight months, but like you just got to find the next step and keep going. Then eventually, you know, you wind up here. And I wouldn't let him quit. That's it. Find, <laughs> you can't quit on your spouse. Find a wife that would not like <laughs> That's, That's <laughs> awesome. Totally. And how did you find like, uh, so your friend, the, after he was wrapped up, the, the Coinbase engineer, how did you find someone? Because that's a big challenge finding the technical talent to build out your vision and continue to stay up, you know, up to date with it. Yeah. We had an insane amount of calls with different, um, like large development firms, small ones. Um, and I guess it's kind of the same thing as building out the marketplace, but we went local. Um, I knew there was a couple shops in Westchester where we live in the Philadelphia suburb, uh, suburban area. And yeah, it's, um, it's called Enet. So they have a couple, I think like five to 10 engineers that do web development and app development for them. So I like the owner around. He was really nice, really straightforward. Um, he's only a couple blocks away. He works a couple blocks away from where we live. So thought it'd be worthwhile to go with them. Got it. Okay. All right. So going back to the you know supply and demand. So how did you get things humming? Uh, so maybe, hey, we've got some coaches that are people that you know from basketball and soccer. How do you even get athletes that are like, wow, this exists and let me you know sign up? Yeah, well, we knew a couple um, well, coaches were, again, easy enough from the network, the first like, five to 10, I would say. The parents beyond that, we started a really small um, Facebook marketing campaign. Um, again, not a huge amount of money since it's uh, obviously all bootstrapped by us, mm -hmm. but we targeted different sports, different locations. Um, and then, again, we kind of got our first initial adopters there. But beyond that, referrals have been the big for us. So it's starting to really pick up now where, again, we had our first like 10, 20, 30 parents book sessions. But then they're telling their parents of you know, the teams that their kids play on. And before you know it, like 10 FC Delco kids come in or 10 AAU kids from this one program reach out. So that's been a huge piece, too, is trying to like track down those referrals and make sure parents know that they should spread the word about it. Um, yeah, and again, it definitely takes time. I mean, I remember when we put our first Facebook marketing campaign out within like a couple of days. We had a couple of people trickle through, but little by little, it just picks up steam. Um but yeah, taking that leap to, to do that early on is tough, but you have to spend, I think, something to get it going. It's tough to do it without spending anything. So. Yeah, but it's so tricky because Facebook ads are so expensive and like the return. like So I guess it's good to kind of have a spigot that's yielding at least a couple of drops 
you know, cause it's just like, I always hear these success stories like, well, I just did some Facebook ads and uh, Twitter ads or something and started the, the process. But uh, that was probably like 10 years ago when people were able to do that and spend it, you know, very, uh, you know, on the cheap. Now, like those ads are incredibly expensive and yeah. really tough for a bootstrap entrepreneur to afford. I should say, actually, that's a good point. I mean, that's our um, kind of the one that we spend on. We do, that's probably 20% of the time, I would say. The next 80% is going out and doing all the organic stuff. So we have partnerships. I actually just signed one today with um, Harlem Lacrosse. It's a nonprofit in the Philadelphia area. But they have um, you know, a lot of kids that need help with lacrosse training. So we're helping out them pair with our coaches. Um, we work with a couple other nonprofits and small companies. And then we're all over Facebook groups. Um, we signed up with like the mainline parent Facebook group. We're in different like Westchester groups where we can post about our coaches. That's worked really well too. So I'd say that's really early on for a startup too. That's what they talk about, like the non-scalable actions. You have to take them. Like sure, posting in 10 Facebook groups isn't going to get us from, you know, 10 to a thousand parents, but it'll get us from 10 to 20 and then 20 to 40 from referrals. And before you know it, again, it just kind of keeps snowballing, but you have to do those free organic channels and really just kind of like earn your stripes with it. Kind of like you said, if you're lucky enough to get, um, you know, funding on day one, you can spend a million dollars on marketing. Great. But most startups don't start out like that. It takes a couple of years to just continually grind, doing the same thing over and over. But if you have a strategy and you stick to it, um, you know, eventually it'll prove the results. All right. So uh, we talked about how you started getting subtraction with the athletes. Now, one of the things, you know, as a parent for, you know, two athletes, I would want to know that these coaches are good, right? That they're good coaches, that they are vetted. So I would think that would be a really important part of, of the value out of this marketplace. So how do you vet out the coaches? Yeah. So we always say our platform is our product, but it's really the coaches that we are providing to the athletes. And so making sure that the coaches are vetted, they're, you know, responsible adults, you know, that can be working with your kids. That's really what we're looking for. And, you know, we talked earlier about mentorship. That's a huge piece. And most of the time we're talking to these coaches individually, interviewing them, seeing what they're like before having them sign up just to, you know, put our, you know, we're having them do background checks, but also putting our stamp of approval on them before we send them out. And, you know, as two former coaches, I think having us talk to them first before we're, you know, presenting them is a really good way to vet some of these people out in addition to, you know, criminal background checks. Um, I, I will say something good to add there for everyone. Um, we have had a couple of coaches that apply that unfortunately couldn't make the cut based yeah. on a background check or their level of play and they maybe didn't play at the right level, had the right level of experience. So it's happened already, but we're making sure that our platform is really meant for not like the best of the best coaches, but high quality people yeah. that have played at a certain level that have passed the background check. They have to have those things. And then from there, they can coach. Yeah. We're not letting any old person come on the platform and work with your kids. That's not what this is. Um, we really want to make sure that what we're giving is valuable. It's improving your athlete's skills and, you know, they're helping them get better. Yeah. Cause I would think uh, as a parent, again, that if you're going to invest time into a private coach, that there's uh, these kids probably have aspirations to play in college. They might not, but at least that's kind of like, you know, that's their passion. They are so excited about soccer or basketball or cross, whatever. And that this private coaching sessions will enable them to perform at a higher level that maybe will help them reach their long-term goals. We know that, you know, we went through it growing up. We know the sacrifices that our parents made to help us go through club, which isn't, it isn't cheap playing sports. So 
you know, if we're presenting these coaches, we want to make sure, you know, your return is going to be great, whether it's just this, the personal skills that your kids are developing through mentorship, or it's, you know, them actually reaching whatever aspirations they might have of playing college or playing professionally. We want to make sure that our coaches are fulfilling all of those pieces for you. We don't, you know, we want to provide the best that we can. And those are the steps that we, we put in place to make sure it happens. Yep. And what type of feedback do you get about the coaches after the sessions or how often does that happen? Pretty often. Yeah, we actually yeah. had a, um, a really good, well, it kind of did trickle through after the sessions happened, but really good review yesterday for a local basketball coach. I think the exact quote was, um, Coach Vicky is tremendous. My daughter's um, building a ton of confidence by working with her. Couldn't be a nicer person or a better coach. Like we love working with Coach Vicky. So it's a lot of like coaches help the kids build confidence and the parents see that. It's, I can we probably get more reviews that say based on the personality of the coach and what they do for the kid, not, mm-hmm. hey, this coach helped my, you know, son's shot get better which is good or my daughter's foot skills get better all that stuff's really important like the parents really look for like how's the kid improving confidence wise like are they doing better on the field like you know kind of just having more fun with sports a lot of that goes into it and the parents know that too yeah and it's great getting those reviews knowing that you know at least there's one kid out there that benefited from what we're doing that's really what we're looking for whether it's one kid or a hundred or hopefully a million (laughs) but you know even just Having one review come in is really great. So as you started to build the website, a lot has gone into it. I'm assuming not all these features existed day one. So you have an area of training session videos. There's, you know, messaging communications on the website to the coaches and the players or the uh, athletes. There's scheduling. So there's there's a lot behind the curtain, just like with VentureFizz. There's a lot that goes on behind the site. So uh, how did you, how do you figure out what the site needs? And I know you're working with a firm to build it, but getting that experience from users is not, you know, that's something that takes time and effort to make sure that what you're building is what they want. Yeah, I think we both agree. It's never a finished product, especially with tech platform. Um, you know, if it was another industry, it could be something where the website's not the main part of what you're doing for the website. Kind of like Elaine said, it is mm-hmm. the product and the coaches are, uh, the beneficiaries of that. So when we build it, we're always making tweaks. Like even yesterday, we got a response from a coach who was using the calendar and I think they asked for a new feature. So we put that into our engineering team's development for next week. So they can roll that out in a couple of weeks from now. But it, we're always kind of like, again, tweaking and tinkering with the uh, the platform. But I mean, you have to have a certain few things. The schedule and the calendar have to be there so the coaches and parents know when and where to meet up. And that's a custom built calendar, which works really cleanly. Um, the search platform, um, we have that set to about 40 to 50 miles, which is like we heard from parents, the farthest they would go when they come to search for a private coach. Uh, it might be a little bit out of people's ranges, but you can narrow that down too if you only want to find coaches within like 5, 10, 20 miles. So again, after years of working with yeah. parents and knowing a lot of coaches, we just kind of crowdsource those ideas and build a platform based on it. And obviously looking at other people in this space too. Like we we know what Coach Up is like. We've seen airbnb rover and kind of like the best marketplaces and how they operate Um, so we've had a lot of experience with it too yeah and as we're local you know we're building these relationships with coaches that you know we ask for their feedback and they're always happy to give it um so putting in the time to build those relationships has been i think pretty important for us absolutely so what's other sports do you guys um have in addition to soccer and basketball 
all of them. <laughs> no, not all. Soccer, <laughs> uh, basketball, baseball, football. Do we have tennis? Not, not tennis. tennis. We have those four. Yeah. Um, softball, track and field, strength and conditioning. We just launched mental performance yeah. coaching, which is really exciting. Um, and then I think the tenth one to round it out is lacrosse. If I didn't mention it already. So what is um, mental, was it mental performance coaching? What is that? Mental performance coaching. Um, It's really new for us. We have a handful of coaches that have um, like a certain level of education, but um, like for instance, one of our main coaches is the head of student athlete success at UPenn. So she works with a lot of students there to kind of help them off the court or off the field, um, better kind of visualize their game, work with if they're having any problems on the court that they might, um, you know, need help talking through. She's there sort of like a sports counselor in a way. So that's what we launched on the site. And she's one of our main coaches. We have somebody else up in the Newtown area that's serving as our second coach. But again, very new, but we've gotten a lot of good feedback from it. I think a couple of parents already booked um, time on both coaches' calendars. So it's taken off. And it's a big thing in sports now, too. We've heard it from a lot of parents. But kids, whether it's the pressure or, um, you know, maybe from an early stage or early on, just kind of being um, so competitive. A lot of the kids get either like psyched out by a game or they have a lot of anxiety. So talking to somebody who can, with the right level of education, that can um, kind of help them out and just feel more confident and feel better on the field with the court. Um, you know, we want to help them do that. So that's why we launched Mental Performance Coaching. So have you raised any outside funding or has this been purely bootstrapped? Purely bootstrapped. <laughs> pockets are empty. <laughs> I love it. That's uh, the same path I took for Venture Fizz. So um, now as far as the business model, you talked about Coach Up and how their business kind of started to change in terms of their fees. So how does the business model work for, for your company? It's a flat 20% fee. So um, Elaine and I kind of sat on that together based on the fees that we knew from coach up and kind of how we can run the business still, but also make it fair for coaches. So anytime a parent books, give you an example, say if um, Elaine charged $50 per session, if you booked a session with her, um, that coach Elaine would keep $40. And then we as athletes untapped would take $10 of it. So it's just a 20% fee on every booking to the site. Um, Very simple. There's no, no scales. I know some platforms do like for the first session, it's like 60% and then it goes down to like 15 or 10 Never really liked that because it doesn't really promote longevity for the platform. So we just kept it at a one-time flat fee. Um, and most coaches, even when we say that, there was like a oh, very reasonable. We understand that you have to pay for marketing and you're kind of, you know, doing the legwork to find us clients. So we haven't really had a problem with it yet. Yeah. And there's no sign-up fees for either coaches or, or parents. Now you've been building this out like hyper-local, which is smart if you're bootstrapped, especially. So what's the plan as far as expansion outside? You know, we talked about the sports you've expanded into, but as far as growing it into different regions. How much time do we have? I don't know. We we definitely want to take this more than just the Philadelphia area eventually. Um, But I think we definitely need the runway. I'm not exactly sure, but a little bit more time to add a couple more sports in this area and really add more coaches to those sports. Because right now, some of the sports are still pretty new, like mental performance. We just launched lacrosse two months ago. So we have a good set of like five, 10 coaches there. But if we can get most sports kind of to the basketball soccer level, where we have a good 15, 20 coaches spread all throughout the Philadelphia area so that any parent that signs up in you know any of the three or four major counties or South Jersey or Delaware can connect with someone that's local. If we can make every sport like that across the 10 to 15 that we have, then at that point, <laughs> I think at that point we would go to the next city. Um, and we'd probably stay on the East Coast. I know a lot of coaches have told me kind of from knowing people who train in those cities that DC would be an awesome market for this. 
Um, New York's obviously a big beast that everyone wants to tackle, but we'd stay kind of on the East Coast for now. So what have been some of the biggest lessons learned? Like this is, um, you know, not something that is easy to build. Uh, we've talked about how you've accomplished some of those goals, but what have you been like those lessons learned looking back? You're like, wow, why did we do it that way? And it was so obvious now. Working with your spouse is the best thing ever. Every dinner is a business dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you sit down for dinner. It's like, okay, yeah. athletes untapped. <laughs> <laughs> How was your day? We got to talk business first. <laughs> I think um, just with building the app and the wireframes, we had to do a little bit of rework on, on some of those things. And just with trying to make it the most user-friendly, there's a few things that we learned there with easeability and, you know, starting out what looks pretty might not always be practical for people. <laughs> so <laughs> making changes that may really make things easier for people to work with with the platform but some of the things you know we figured out very early on i think one good thing that we've both kind of learned too just having a crazy life while we're trying to build this company is and you hear it from a lot of like different startup leaders but there really never is a perfect time um like we did yeah. this during the covid year and then we got married the next year um you know we're, we bought a house in the meantime like everything is going on you can make up a million excuses like oh during yeah. that year we should have spent more time doing X, Y, and Z. But if you really want to do something, again, you just have to do it and kind of find time for it, whether it's after your day job or in the mornings or on the weekends, whenever it is. Um, and we've been lucky enough to have the flexibility to do that. But still, um, yeah, we could have had a lot of chances to just turn it in and be like, hey, we gave it a good shot or like we're too busy right now. But, you know, we really want to do this. So we're pushing forward. Now, there are entrepreneur couples, married couples that, um, you know, when I think of Eventbrite, that's Kevin and Julia Hartz. They started, and I was researching, I'm like, what are the other married entrepreneurial couples out there? And I found Howes, H-O-U-Z-Z. -Z. That's a married couple that started that company. I'm like, wow, very cool. So what advice would you have to other married couples that are considering the same entrepreneurial leap of building a company together? I would say trust in each other. You know, there's a reason that we're married. It's because we're not these exact same person. We both have different strengths and leaning on each other for their strengths and recognizing that and promoting their strengths, I think has really helped us. Like there's, you know, I have to have a level of trust in him, you know, and level of trust and a, the right amount of push <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, because and he sees the same way for me. He trusts me and, you know, he also pushes me. And I think that's really, um, really worked for us so far. I think it's a lot of fun to and yeah. having somebody to lean on constantly. And it's, I mean, you could call it co-founder, spouse, whatever you want to say. But if I have a, a day where it's a super long day, 14 hour day, and I'm like, at the end of the day, and we're putting a lot of time here. Like, is this really, you know, every entrepreneur has that thought, but is it all worth it? That's the day when Elaine comes in and is like, absolutely. We've built so much. Look at what you've done. Yeah. And then vice versa, same thing. So started from napkins. Started there from we napkins. are. <laughs> <laughs> Legit it. <laughs> love that the napkin um yeah i mean it's definitely uh a hard thing doing this as a side project because i can relate to that as well so how do you handle the time management piece between having your own jobs your own careers running athletes untapped yet also you know being mindful of there is life outside of those two thank you 
I mean, it probably comes back to what Elaine said at the beginning, just having good time management skills from sports. Obviously, it's a lot to juggle both, but if you can really be structured with what you're doing day to day and kind of schedule things out for the week, I mean, you can fit time in, especially, um, you know, not being in an office. And if you work from home, it's easy to kind of not easy, but doable to balance the two. Um, I mean, some days, obviously, one kind of takes effort over the other and you have to dive into it. But yeah, having that flexibility from being remote is, is very nice. All right. What are some uh, top three apps you can't live without? And obviously, your own companies can't be one of them. <laughs> I was thinking about this quite a bit. I was thinking definitely Zillow. I find myself on Zillow a bit too much and along with Pinterest because, you know, outside of all the work stuff we do, I love working on the house and, you know, getting different ideas and doing that in my free time when I have it. Um, so Zillow, probably Gmail. And is iMessage? <laughs> you know what? That that's the most Those common boring, one I get but... from entrepreneurs. No, the, the Gmail is like the yeah. every entrepreneur is like Gmail. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. How about Eugene? Um, Spotify. <clears throat> Always listen to the music during the day, especially if you work, um, you know, by yourself at home. Spotify, Airbnb. Looking for the next vacation or dreaming about the next trip. Um, I mean, I, I, Gmail is kind of a crack, so I'll skip that one. Probably Uber, probably Uber. Um, the times when, because Elaine does go to the airport a lot, having to travel for work. So if I go on a trip with her, if I'm working from the hotel, just kind of being able to, you know, easily bounce from place to place. It's like those, those three things get me through the week most times. We have the worst picks. We're so boring. <laughs> They're good apps. Yeah, but they're they're, they're practical know. though. Like Spotify would be my <laughs> top one too. It's like Spotify, Gmail. Yeah, like it makes sense. Um, do you have any uh, podcasts or books that you read for inspiration as relates to building a company? There's a whole bookshelf of them. Which ones are your favorite? Uh, one that I read this year, a buddy of mine recommended it to me. Um, it was a shoe dog by Phil Knight. Nike founder. Oh yeah. Really good. Amazing. Um, yeah. I actually have that quote on my desk. It's just whatever you do, don't lose every single day. So I kind of follow that mantra, but yeah, we have a lot of good books up here. <laughs> well, what I loved about shoe dog was that I thought it was going to be about, you know, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. It wasn't that at all. I mean, it was like how <laughs> he basically went bankrupt multiple times building Nike. It was phenomenal. I thought the super cool thing about that book too, was just the time that he spent with it being a side hustle it wasn't just called blue ribbon at the time but he worked for i think pwc for like seven years i mean that gave me so much encouragement you know because i love my full-time job um obviously we're building something fun on the side but people always say like oh within six months you got to jump and go full-time in your job and it's like you could do that but you also could follow another person's story when phil knight did it for seven years and made it successful in the longer like you don't have to be crazy and take that leap of faith without knowing you can build something successful on the side then once it's big enough, it's like, okay, I have options and things, you know, are going well. It takes more time. I mean, people have done it. So, yeah. All right. Uh, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? You talked about looking for ways to improve your house. Uh, what else do you like to do? He hates all of the home improvement projects. <laughs> it's always dusty in here. <laughs> um, really just that and, you know, hanging out with our dog, taking him on different hikes. Yep. Trail hikes, trail roads. Yeah. Coaching. Obviously, yoga. <laughs> we love the link out yeah. into yoga. Not yoga. So. Okay, cool. Well, 
thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through all your background in terms of how you kind of got to the point as athletes to your professional careers of starting athletes untapped and all the great advice you shared along the way. Yeah. yeah thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Hopefully we'll see you in town soon. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.